Season 6 has had its day, and Season 7 is on its way. Another year has had its run. Time for us to have some fun. All we need is Santa Claus. And a case of Dosecchi, of course. Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show Rap Party. I thought we were a rock show. Everybody, and welcome to our season six rap party on the Mojo Radio Show. We are winding down for the season. It's been a big season, probably, I, I suspect, one of our biggest ever seasons, just in terms of the quality of guests, the enjoyment we've had, a few laughs, Rocktober, and all the rest. But this is our rap party. We've got all the treats out, all the gang are here. Everybody ready to rap this season? Robbo, what we've got here, let's just mm. go around the studio. It's like a little party, like a little rap, a little rock and roll <laughs> I, rap party. I, I love the balloons and streamers you've got hanging up everywhere. <laughs> you've worked very hard. Now, over here, this bowl <laughs> is the roasted grilled mm. crickets. And I've got some nice. cricket energy bars. This one's the cacao fudge. So we love our friends. Now, here, Pete Harrison, not only have I got you a coffee, but Pete Harrison's also sent us some fish of a roast oh, nice. chocolate-coated coffee beans, gold. Mm. Now, over here, this tray, I know they look a bit odd, but these are Tim Tams. And what I've done is I've Art Decoed chili from Chili Bob across like red stripes across them. So that's why they look a little odd. Do you know what I'm asking for for Christmas, just as a by-the-by, is uh, Arnott's are coming out with a cherry-ripe-flavoured Tim Tam. That's that's wrong on so many levels, isn't it? <laughs> that, that, now, that will be a case study. That'll be, I guarantee, in two years' time, that'll be, what were they thinking? Uh, I think that'll be a taste tester for our next, next international guest. That'll be our next Vegemite. <laughs> so let me keep going around the studio. We've got our plate of Revies here. So if you're not already jacked up enough, there's some Revies here, which are little caffeinated strips. You can stick one of those on your tongue and you're good to go. And then, of course, over here... Uh, Lofty, out of the way. <laughs> Lofty sitting on the esky. Hey, Gary, remember, I know what you guys are like. I'm not letting you drink all my beer. That is <laughs> got a whole, that's got a carton of Dos Equis on ice. Nice. So if we've got all these things ready, I think we're good to go. I think we should get into it. The Mojo Radio Show. Ho, ho, ho. By the by, uh, as a tip of the hat to you, I have had a number of phone calls and emails and posts asking me, whether we were actually at Bondi Beach. <laughs> and one guy said, it sounded like you dubbed in beach sounds with seagulls mm-hmm. and stuff. Were you actually there or were you taking the piss in the studio and just making it out? I said, no, no, Ooh. it's legit. We actually were. I've, I think we've have we even got some photos we're posting on. To- we, we have some photographic evidence that's up on Facebook if you care to look. Uh, I think more than me take the credit, I think we should probably be pointing the credit to... Adam from Athletic Greens and his very generous donation of some top-end OB gear. That actually is true. That was pretty mecca. In fact, we've now got our own proper... We had the, we've been renting it, so anybody who heard the show, we were renting it. But now we've actually, through Patreon, Adam has made a huge donation to us. Now we've got our own rig. So you will hear us talking to pretty much any international guest saying, if you come to our country... Anyone who'll have us. We're going back to Bondi. <laughs> Robbo's remarkable facts. Let's go. All right, before we go into our epic guest this week, 
uh, remarkable fact, Goat? Remarkable fact, being the end of the season, I've found something a bit festive. Did you know that the song Jingle Bells is was not actually written as a Christmas carol at all? It was actually written for Thanksgiving. Did not know that. It was written in 1857 by a guy called James Lord Pierpont. And this, it was published under the title One Horse Open Sleigh. He wrote it for his Sunday school about some local reindeer races that took place during Thanksgiving. Another remarkable fact, Jingle Bells was also the first ever song to be broadcast from space. How cool is that? Another remarkable fact, that was actually on Explosive Hits 1857. That's right. (laughs) I think it was top of the Spotify list too. This is Leif Babin, former Navy SEAL, co-author of the books Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership, president of Echelon Front, and you are listening to the Mojo Radio Show. Stand by to get some. Our guest this week is Pat McNamara, known as Pat Mac. I honestly say this is the best finish to season six because I am an absolute rap on this guy. Pat McNamara spent 22 years in the United States Army and Special Ops, and he works in the Premier Special Missions Unit, and he had a, he built a reputation as an impeccable marksman, although he'll say he wasn't a sniper. He is known for his accuracy and precision and tactical effectiveness on weapons. That's what he does today. He trains people on tactical applications of shooting and He works with special ops people today in situational awareness and how to handle firearms. But his social media stuff I love because he has his own style. He is his own brand, but he brings a standby to get some to everything he does. And he is a special breed of man. Patrick Matramara, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Right on. Thank you for having me. Pat, when, when somebody meets you for the first time... And they ask you what you do. How do you like to reply? <laughs> you know what? I, I reply now by saying I, uh, I teach badassery. Because uh, <laughs> I have my own business. Awesome. I have my business called T-Max Inc. And uh, where I teach everything basically badass. Uh, I teach shooting, fighting, close quarter battle, combat strength training, those kinds of things. So, um, it, you know, they always get a chuckle out of it when, they, when I say I teach badassery. Uh, you know, initially they say, what do you do? I say, I'll run my own business. Oh, what's that business? I teach badassery. And they'd look at me like, what in the hell are you talking about? So then I go into it a little bit more. When I first came across your work and I heard you interviewed on maybe Never Quit or Rogan or one of those shows, you talked about the the world of the Sentinel. And I know you've written about the Sentinel. Yes, sir. What, what, what's, the, what's the philosophy behind that, Pat? What's it mean to be a Sentinel? The, the book I wrote, Sentinel, it, the, the uh, subtitle is How You Can Be the Agent in Charge of Your Own Executive Protection Detail. So take what an, an executive protection detail, like say State Department, Secret Service, those kind of things, and you whittle it down to a micro level. So what can we do as an individual without all the resources and stuff to replicate on a micro level, what a secret service or an executive protection can do to help protect either ourselves or ourselves and our loved ones or just our anybody in our community. Um, so, uh, and there's a lot of things that we can't do day by day to uh, to kind of not, we can't replicate it, 
100% because that takes a massive uh, support system and uh, it, it, and it's exhausting. It's a shitty freaking job to be uh, somebody's personal protection. Um, but I basically go through that uh, and how to uh, how to do it, how to live day by day, uh, and just make you and your loved ones uh, live in a safer environment. And that's I think that's what grabbed my attention with the stuff you do, Pat, because we live in this world where we are we have our faces in a screen in and out of the office on the streets. We we have this addiction yep. with our faces down in a screen. And then I heard you talk about that. And mm-hmm. then you look at the news where daily there is something happening somewhere in the world, in a cinema, a shopping centre, a main street, a festival, a music concert. It's, it's becoming so prevalent now. Is, is your work becoming even more important today to become the agent in charge and take personal responsibility? Are you finding that even today it's becoming even more and more of a priority? Yeah, no doubt. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not believe that we live in a more dangerous world than yesteryear. And matter of fact, statistics will prove that it's a safer world because there's eyes everywhere. There's cameras, there's videos, everybody's, you know, filming, etc. So to be a, to be a, a predator, you have to go through, uh, you know, it's, it's a more arduous process. However, I think we are in more danger now because of what you said, we are living in a 45 degree syndrome. People are fat, happy, complacent, button pushers living in 45 degree syndrome you know constantly staring at a device or something and we have relinquished our primal defense mechanisms like uh situational awareness and intuition those kind of things so we are as a as a human at a primal level human we are devolving you know we are uh we are a lot we are super uh, complacent um we accept mediocrity we are we've got our head up our asses um so you know, there's a lot of occurrences happening that don't have to if one would just be switched on just a little bit. You know, there's a Cooper's color code, you know, from white to uh, red, white being zombie mode, red being fighting for your life. And when you go out, especially if you're with your family, you should be at least in the yellow. Um, most people are still in the white. You know, they're com- in complete zombie mode. And a lot of um, a lot of incidences that are tragic or cause injury can be mitigated if we just uh, pull our head out of our asses and look around every once in a while. And, and uh, only because it's on the tip of my brain, you were talking about people. I recently looked up a statistic because I talked on a podcast last week about it, and I had to look it up to confirm it. Um, in the United States, 11 teenagers, 11 teenagers a day die from texting and driving. What's the – you just mentioned the, the 45-degree syndrome. Just run that for us. So when your head is cocked down and you're looking at your phone, your head is in a 45-degree in a angle as opposed to straight up 90-degree angle looking at the sky 180. Um, so that's how I see people walking around. You know, they're in 45-degree mode. They're, they're bent down and they're hunched over and they're looking at their phones. And, you know <laughs> – Kids nowadays, they do it so often that they're um, they're falling into this, uh, not rut. They're falling into a uh, um, this thing called complacent adaptation, where their spines are developing that way. 
<laughs> where they, you know, their 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 whole C spine is developing in an arched format now because they're always looking down like that. What's interesting, Pat, when I hear you talk about this, and I've become very mindful of it since hearing and looking at your work. Is there a situation where this is also appropriate in the workplace? So I hear you talk a lot about the street, and we'll get to that as we progress through the show. But just in your experience with the people you're working with now, have you have you had the experience or have you been asked to transition this thinking into the office or boardroom environment and not just on the street? Uh, I haven't been asked um, – like as a uh, you know down to an individual level um but man it could really uh it could really be uh, beneficial i know that but even let's say and i'm not sure this even answers part of your question but let's say you know that's your day-to-day you you're living in an office uh and you're working out of a cubicle or what have you um we you know we we become extremely complacent where we fall into a routine, a routine, and the routine is just day-to-day operations. And I like to say, routine is the playground of a dull mind. You know, when you when you fall into that routine, you're kind of giving up uh, your thinking and thought process. Um, you know, you could just keep switched on by maybe parking in a different place every day, taking the stairs instead of the elevator, those kind of things, and uh, doing a little um, mind. Uh, um, exercise during during breaks and stuff like that. So, I, I would love to uh, talk to like corporate America about or cor- corporate world period about you know how to um, just kind of adapt a better uh, a better mindset because not only will that mindset uh, help them in let's say time of crisis, but if you've got a good, strong uh, mindset, that that leads to good attitude, and that attitude leads to confidence, and confidence and performance work hand in hand. What was that quote? Routine is the what of a dull mind. <laughs> I, I I like to say routine is the playground of a dull mind. Uh, next year's October poster, Gary. Skag on the wall. I was just I, I was goal. writing it down, and I missed the most important part. I had to go back. Sorry. It's it's called <laughs> McNamara Gold, right there, out of the box. Ten minutes in, Pat drops gold. I've got tons of them, man. I'll keep dropping them. I'll keep writing them down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got plenty of time. Yep. Pat, I have to um, I have to tell you a story, uh, which I don't often share stories. From the studio, but this is a real life example. I had traveled to a city here in Australia. I had traveled to my hotel and I had walked to the hotel. And being the agent in charge, having seen your stuff, and I was in the middle of doing preparation for this interview. But as I checked into my room, I had scoped out where the fire escape was, the quickest way to it. And I had set my room up that so- if, should something happen, I could get the most valuable things in my bag in 60 seconds and head to the fire escape. Right on. And bugger me, I kid you not, I hadn't even grabbed a glass of water and been at the toilet and the fire alarm went off. Wow. And it was, and this is a true example of how I think sometimes the work we do on socials, social gets bagged a lot, but then we don't look at the flip side of stories that you may, mm-hmm. may or may not hear in your general day. Right. Now, it turned out to be a false alarm, but my point was it may not have been. And by having heard your stuff and then as a matter of course, when you go through as simple as checking in with family or just on a business trip, 
that uh, it was sorted and I would have been, you know, good to go. So I, I find I find this work to be something where people consume knowledge, but we consume it, but we don't use it or experiment with it, make it part of our day-to-day so it never becomes knowledge. And I don't know, I, I, I wanted to share that with you because I think there is such value in this in the world we live in. But the other thing that I want to ask about is that in the absence of doing that, do we find ourselves in that complacent adaptation where we are just assuming that's how it's always done? That, yeah, yeah. And we're going that, with that's the what herd? Happens. Sheep run with the sheep, and running with the sheep may not be the best recourse because they don't have a plan. You know, the sheep don't have a plan. They're looking for easiest, easiest avenue of egress, and they're going to follow the first person who boogies. So if you have a plan, we don't plan to fail, but we fail the plan. And when we do, we get experience. And experience is something we get shortly after we need it. So there's a couple more nuggets for you. But I wrote an article about that not too long ago about um, how, you know, following the sheep may not be the best recourse um, because they don't have a, they don't have a plan. So if I'm in a like a venue, let's say there's a crowd uh, and I just went to the uh, my North Carolina State Fair with my kids um, who are 16 and 18. So they're Generation Zers. So they, uh, you know, they're they're not too sh- switched on, you know, because uh, kids nowadays have never been bored. They've always had a device in their hand um, and there's danger in that never being bored. But walking through there, you know, I would tell them and they and they're used to it now with me saying hey if anything happens we're going that way if anything happens meet me here if anything happens now we're going that way or i would quiz them hey if something happened right here what is the best way to go and i like to see their gears in motion and they go you know what i would go that way because we could get through that fence and it's closest to the parking lot and i'm like damn man good plan good on you on your part for saying that all right so that's our primary plan so at least we have a you know a primary plan in place, and that could be in a lot, there's there's been tragedies in bars and in movie theaters and stuff where there's fires and people won't even run to the fire escape and it's right there it's right there because they they've never seen it you know they they're exiting the same way they came in because that's what they know so following the sheep out there you know it's not a good idea because there's been people who you know there's been like I forget a recent incident where it was a uh, it was a bar or a movie theater or something like that where everybody ran during a fire toward the exit the same way they came in. And there was a clear and clearly marked fire exit and nobody went out that way. You just spoke about planning, Pat, and you, from what I understand, you are a planned guy. Do you still use a whiteboard to plan your day and what's ahead? Do, do you know this about me? It's, is that why you ask? Because I, I absolutely do. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have two white. I have two whiteboards, and I, I um, I recommend this to guys as part of like therapy. Um, now I, I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but guys like me who spent a long time in the military, you know, a, a career in the military, especially special ops. When you get when you get out, when you if you have no purpose, no meaning, it's easy to fall to slip into. Um, a dark place. Um, so one of the things I tell guys for therapy is, is get a whiteboard. The night, you know, before you go to bed, jot down what your plan is for tomorrow. And it doesn't have to be super ambitious. It can be as simple as, you know, number one, bring my wife coffee. Number two, uh, do this. Number three, 
you know, but have those things uh, planned out. For me, it's a little more ambitious, but I have one that sits by my coffee maker, a whiteboard, and that's got all of my, um, basically my, uh, it's my essential task list. And I have another board in my uh, laundry room that has stuff like, you know, Mojo podcast this time, this day, uh, this podcast, this time, this day. Uh, meeting with insurance agent this time, you know, so it's got all those things on it. So it's got the uh, kind of the long term, not the low hanging fruit stuff, but the stuff that I, I need to get to at some point, but it's not tomorrow. So I think it's important to have those, uh, especially if, for guys like me uh, who, um, you know, you, 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 you've, you've spent a long career in the military, you get out and you kind of have no purpose and you lose drive too. And I know a lot of guys have fallen victim to it and they, they told me that the whiteboard has really helped them out. And you, you were, after 22 years in special operations, you said there was a moment where that happened to you where you said, I'm out. And you made that decision. What was that moment, Pat, where you went after all this time couple of decades in something you were passionate about that you loved and you were you were very very good at you went I'm out what was the moment uh, well it, it was it was kind of a, 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 a an amalgamation of events it was uh, one I uh, I had done pretty much all I can do you know in the military I was satisfied I had to think if I got out, would I have any regrets? Is there anything else I need to accomplish? So the answer was no. Big driving force for me was I had little kids at home, and um, I needed to be there for them because their mom wasn't. Uh, so I needed to be there. You know, I needed to be there. Uh, there, the shepherd of my flock. I needed to be there for them, and that was my big. This uh, deciding factor was little kids at home. Their mom's not doing what she can to uh, to make sure that they grow up the right way. I have to be there for them. I can't keep doing this, working at this tempo, when there's a good chance of me getting really jacked up or not breathing. So, if I can camp there for a second, Pat, because you mentioned many military guys can go into a dark place, which I'm always fascinated about when you're in special ops and you are on top of things, it's never quit, get it done. Yet you leave military and many vets can fall into a dark place. And you, you, went, to, you went to a place that was pretty dark yourself and you just mentioned your kids. You told a story about having a conversation with your son. He was, I don't know, maybe six or seven years old. And you said to him, I don't love you. I am in love with you. And he cried. And you said to him, you, you took ownership and said, this thing is defeating me. When you, when you think of that story today, take us there. How did that feel? What was that event like for you? It, was, um, it, it came at the right place because I had almost capitulated to, to darkness. Uh, I was going down that rabbit hole. And I was, I was digging in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And um, I didn't have self-realization until I had talked to my son that night. And, you know, he was the sweetest little boy. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. Uh, and um, when, he, when he cried, when I told him that I was in love with him, 
you know, it was just a sweet cry, just tears, just tears. It wasn't bawling or anything. But I realized, damn man, you know, I got out for them. Now I'm going this way. Their their mom is getting no better, and I've got. To, I, they are still relying on me. You know, they're they're 100 my dependent. So I, I put out my running shoes that night with no plan in the morning. Uh, put out my iPod, and uh, next morning got up early. Put my running stuff on and went for a jog, having no idea where I was going to go. And it ended up being like 10 or 12 miles. I came back starving and then I, I ended up uh, working out on my driveway for about another hour and a half, two hours, just just going crazy. And, and, I, and I had this, this epiphany that said, you know, this hole that I was digging, dude, I'm not buried. I'm fucking planted. I've been planted. I am ready to grow now. So it was a it was a bit it was a moment for me that I was very fortunate enough to be able to come out of it without any support mechanism, without any help from anybody else. And as a matter of fact, not only not having support, but being beat down day after day after day after day uh, with, you know, no support, no, no love. I mean, I had the support from my kids, but not from, you know, a support mechanism with whom I was living at the time. So uh, I would I was. I'm very fortunate to have able to done it, to have done it on my on my own. It's fascinating, Pat. When when you think back to that time, it, there's been an underlying thread through the show for the last couple of years around identity or alter ego. And I'm curious to go if you sit here today, and you either have become or are becoming the man you want to be. Who was the identity of that guy who decided to go for a run that day? What's the identity of that guy versus the identity today? Who who were those two men? In, what, what could you see? What could you feel when you think about those two men? You know, the the guy who said I'm going for a run was was the real me, and I I almost forgot who I was, and uh, I there was there was so much strife in in my relationship at the time, and it was a relationship that went on for a long time. In the last five years of it, I lived in my bonus room. I just didn't want to leave the house. I wanted to be, I lived in a little teeny room above my garage. I didn't want to leave the house because I was taking care of my kids. And I, re- I remember for that moment who who I was. And, and I'm not a rest on your laurels, motherfucker. You know, I, I, I'm not somebody who says, oh, yesterday I was this badass because I'm a badass tomorrow. But, but I had to remember who I was and and then I realized I'm still that I'm still that guy I'm still him I'm still the same guy I you know and 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 now I, today that was seven seven years ago today I'm the best version of myself that I've ever been ever I mean I am I am at the top of my game and I tell people that when people say what are your regrets what would you change about your past I wouldn't change a freaking thing. Because I love who I am right now. I would relive all that bullshit all over again. Every single bit of it. Just to be the person that I am today and to be with uh, this uh, woman that I love, um, I would do all of it all all over again. And you said your partner today, (laughs) you you described her as the catalyst to a new you. Yeah. What 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 does what does a partner bring to a Pat McNamara that as a catalyst? What is that catalytic bit of a new partner that's, that's helped to bring out, reinforce, and keep the new you? 
Man, I mean, there's 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 several there's several different things. One is um, my wife is my biggest fan. She's my biggest supporter, and uh, sh- we make each other better us better versions of ourselves. We make each other better us. Um, I, I, I I've never, you know, sometimes I tell people. Um, you have to you have to endure the bullshit in order to in order to you know savor the sweet freaking treats at the end, and 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 I wish it on everybody. You know, I wish that good life on everybody. I wish them, especially if they endured a freaking a, a lot of a lot of heartache, a lot of bullshit. I wish them you know well at the end of the day, uh, and and um, because it happened uh, for me and. Uh, my wife and I have been together now for six years and we haven't had a single crossword. Not, not, a, not one, it, mostly because we're both done with it. We both came out of shitty relationships and sometimes you need that. You need, you need a shitty portion of your life to appreciate what good is because I really, really appreciate everything that is good and every portion of life, even even when, when I fall flat on my dick, you know, and I have bad days, I am very grateful for who I am and what I have because I've endured a long, a, 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 there was a long part of my life that was just, I was, I was extremely miserable. And I didn't, I had no idea how miserable I was until I was extremely happy. But out of this period, I've heard you a number of times use three words, which is attitude, aptitude, and desire. Is it out of this period where, as you describe, you started to blaze? Is this, is that where those three words became kind of the values or core of who Pat McNamara is? Um, yes. Uh, I I tell you, attitude is not something that can be, it, it can be learned. It can't be, it can't be taught but it can be learned. It can be emulated, right? Because we are by primal uh, at our, our primal level of learning is, um, you know, vicarious learning, aping mimicking. So it can't be taught, but it can be learned, right? To see somebody with good attitude resonates and positive positivity resonates just as well as unfortunately as negativity does. Um, but being having, you know, that attitude is nothing more than, really being uh, positive. It's about seeing yourself uh, being able to succeed at whatever you put your mind to it. You know, but that attitude has to be, has to be nurtured. It has to be fed. It can't just let uh, uh, to be a uh, stand uh, stagnant. You have to constantly feed that attitude. And I'm not talking cockiness, you know, I'm talking, just good attitude and aptitude is um, it's not necessarily, you know, what your uh, uh, IQ score is, but how you can maybe come up with problems to ambiguous situations or how you react during times of uh, critical thinking. And um, so, yeah, I I, I love those three words when I'm talking about uh, being able to, teach somebody something if they have attitude aptitude desire i could pretty much you know teach them anything that they want uh and and a lot of people look to me right now to teach them some badassery and if they've got those three things 
I'm all about it. I'm your huckleberry. (laughs) I want to ask you about pressure. And I'm curious to know what your self-talk is in a pressure. Let's talk an extreme situation when it's all going down. Because we know the military practice this, spend their time in it, so it becomes part of their being. What's the what's the default dialogue that you go through, Pat, when you're in extreme pressure, extreme situations? What's your own inner dialogue? What is your attitude to that sort of situation? Well, I have I have this one saying uh, that goes, uh, limits begin where vision ends. If you can't see yourself succeeding at something, you're not going to be able to do it. Um, now, I was fortunate by virtue of the fact that I was in special ops for a long time, that uh, everything we did was under scrutiny. They were all pressure cooker drills. And even training events, we always trained for worst case scenario. So uh, it's a lot easier for somebody like me, you know, in who has lived in that environment to be able to compartmentalize uh, certain pressures of, of, the, of the, whether that's, um, you know, life-threatening danger or maybe even like a, let's say a job interview or something like that, you get a lot better at compartmentalizing those kind of stresses and pressures because, man, you've been under a lot worse, you know, a lot worse. I mean, what? There's nothing that could freaking harm me anymore, man. I am impervious to all that freaking crap. Anything that life could throw at me right now, bring it because uh, I, I, I've, been, I've been tested. I've been scared plenty of times i've been hurt plenty of times uh so i um i I, so i default back to that limits begin where vision vision ends and the mind and the mind navigates the body in other words how we think will determine how we perform it's here's an interesting one pat if i you just said anything that life can throw at me i'm ready to go Many military guys, many outstanding leaders have been in that place only to find themselves fall through some sort of emotional crisis or something happens and they fall into that dark place. Do you ever consciously catch yourself unconsciously slipping away? Do you, do you actually find that moment where you, you feel as though you're starting to slip back to that old pat and you catch yourself and and re-engage and readdress does that happen yep ab- absolutely it does and i just i just talked to my wife about it recently um where you know I, I, it's like a it's like a drug relapse you know like a drug addiction relapse like falling off the wagon uh, and i say to myself hey bro put a rubber band around your neck and snap the fuck out of it you know it's as simple as that just get just wake up from it and take a look around, you know, be omnicognizant, see the world around you. Look, look what you've got because, yep. I, I, and, it, and it's a, it's a, sh- it's a shitty place when you see that darkness again, you know, when you, when you, when you, uh, uh, when you, you know, start relapsing into like being depressed or being down on yourself. And man, I hate the feeling of it, but yes, it's happened. Uh, it happens a couple, probably a couple times a month. But um, but it's short lived. It's short lived. Can you recognize it when it's coming, or is nope. it something that you've actually got to stop and go? Yep, it, it, exactly. I don't recognize it as it's coming. Um, it's while I'm in it, 
and and uh, then I have to just kind of put my head down, take a breath, and uh, it takes a lot of focus. But but now that I've recognized it a few times, it's easily recognizable. Now, now you know. So I, I think I could. I think I could. Uh, I think I could battle it and win um, without going back into any relapses. Only because I recognize it so fast when I'm in it now that it's a lot easier to come out of it. But there was a couple of times where I remember moping, you know, moping and thinking, you know, well, this is just where I am now. And, you know, putting the rubber band around my neck and snapping the fuck out of it. Going, nope, this is not where I'm at. Uh, but yeah, I could recognize it a lot faster. Is pulling on the running shoes a trigger or what they would call a totem for you, Pat? When you get to that moment, is falling back to the thing that was the, the, the trigger to mm-hmm. help you change your world and get on this new projection. Is that something you use when you recognize you go back to a totem or a routine like that? Just get the running shoes out. Let's just start over. Do you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not so much running. I, uh, I co-own, oh, man, I, I have so much shit going on, but I co one of the things I do, I co-own MMA gym in town. And, um, at noon every day, I train gratis. I train five five guys at noon every day, um, and they're they're very appreciative. But they're people I know. They're people in the community. It's uh, the owner of my pub, one of the bouncers of that pub, one of my mechanics. Uh, you know, it's guys I know uh, in the, in in my community, and and I train them in my uh, my combat strength training program, and they're very appreciative. But what they don't know is. They're helping me out because they are dependent on me to get there every day. And um, so I thank them every day. And they, they're they like, you know, what the hell are you thanking us for? But I always think, hey, thanks for the workout, guys. You know, and they're they're like, they have, I don't, I, I they, no, I know they have no idea why I'm thinking. I know that. But they are dependent on me to get there every day. And there's a lot of days when I get there where I'm just worn out. You know, I have worn the hell out. And I'm a lot older than they are, too. And they expect me to, you know, run them into the earth. Um, but how does uh, the best way to motivate a motivator is tell them that you're motivating. You know, and and these guys uh, really, you know, they motivate me because I am motivating them. So I am dependent on them as much as they are dependent on me. I want to try and bring a few bits together here, Pat. There is somebody today who is going to walk into a boardroom for a big presentation, or there is somebody who's going to walk before somebody for a job interview, or there is someone who's going to walk before council or a group of people to propose something and present or to do a keynote speech. And before they walk in, before they walk in through the doors, their heart is pounding out of their chest. They have got all these thoughts that are the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly going through their mind. The imposter syndrome's rampant. What I want to ask you about is how do you associate that to being in control as a sniper to be able to focus, control your breath, and deliver in the moment? Because 
you have a reputation, quote unquote, as an impeccable marksman shooting with accurate, lethal results and tactical effectiveness. Take me through a sniper situation where you are, you know what you have to do in order to bring yourself to that moment that someone could take the same skills and transpose them into that situation of stepping in front of an audience. All right, well, one, I'm, so I'm not a sniper, but I'm a, uh, I'm a rifleman and a pistol shooter, but not, some, not a sniper, but I can still talk what you feel, feel it the same way. Um, now, it might not be palatable to every individual going through that because we're talking, when we're talking human beings, it's case by case, you know, and uh, the situation's going to dictate and it's going to, it's going to be a little bit different depending on the, the specific human being. So what you say to one person may not be um, palatable to another. Uh, so, however, big thing is, is uh, I tell guys, hey, number one, don't look where you don't want to go. You know, just don't do that. Don't look where you don't want to go. Because if you look where you, because if you look there, that's where you're going to go. You know, if you look at failure, if you think there's a possibility that this can, that I can screw this up, then you're going to freaking screw it up. You know, but if you're thinking, all right, bullseye, it's impossible for, you to, for me to miss. I am, um, you know, uh, today it, it is impossible for me to miss. It's impossible. You know, and, and, and having that good uh, mental attitude is, is uh, there's something to be said about it. I mean, it's real. It's not, it's not false, you know, having mental attitude and mental blueprinting and playing a highlight reel is, is extremely important as well. For instance, you know, seeing yourself succeed from a perspective that maybe a camera is behind you, you know, and, and you could take the same thing going into the boardroom. Follow that camera in see yourself succeeding don't see yourself falling flat on your dick but if you do however if you fall on your face and you you flub a word or what have you uh, you have to have this ability and it can this this can be practiced to some degree but you have to have the ability to fail quickly in other words don't spend that much time failing spend a very amount short amount of time failing and also remember that it's human to fail Right, it's 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 human. It's a biological requirement for us to fail. But when we do fail, we need to fail quickly. We need to learn from the past, prepare for the future, and perform in the present. We cannot let that failure become a recurrent theme. Uh, I think I answered that question. <laughs> I don't know where I went with that. No, it's interesting. I'm always fascinated with people who can bring themselves to the moment, Pat. And we hear a lot about the military and the training you go through in extreme situations, yet a lot of us in our day-to-day life are going through, it's different, but it's the same in terms of the emotions we feel and trying to bring ourselves to the moment. And I do think you're quite right. A lot of people visualize what they don't want to happen. And almost almost in a way, do they feel cocky? It's funny when you mention that. For people to say, there's no way I can miss this target. And they walk up and I've seen you do the shooting with the pistols and tactical response stuff that you train the guys on in part of the Sentinel. But it's almost like if you say that to yourself, you 
you feel guilty or cocky because you kind of go, yeah, but I don't really believe it, but I should say it because Pat said I should say it. That's actually quite a quite a mind spin, isn't it, to actually be able to convince yourself that you believe in yourself, convince yourself that you're convinced. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's isms I call these things uh, training-itis. We do a lot of stuff in training uh, because it makes sense and it appeases uh, the, uh, the training environment in which we're in. And it, it, so flat range mentality is very specific to, to shooting. Um, so it's uh, shooting drills. And guys will do things on a flat range because they work on a flat range. And then what happens is this guy will teach it to this guy who will teach it to this guy. And they all fall in love with this technique, tactic, or procedure because it works on the flat range. Now we fall into a rut I call um, institutional inbreeding. So this guy heard it from this guy who heard it from this guy. It's all making sense. They're all falling in love with this thing and then told to this guy, etc. And then, you know, um, uh, and this institutional inbreeding can last for uh, until, until somebody calls, until somebody raises the bullshit flag on it. But there's a lot of different examples, you know, but it's very, that's very shooting specific, but you could relate that to, you know, to other facets and parts of life. Um, you know, how we might do a safety drill or an emergency drill because it works in the classroom. But will it really work if there's, you know, an explosion or a fire, um, you know, a real fire? Or when we have, when we do certain drills like safety drills with role players well is a role player really good what if that role player is fighting for his life that's something we can't replicate you know in uh, in terms of uh, you know how a role player can act so you could take that flat range mindset and apply it to uh to a lot of everyday everyday life people do things because it because that's the way they've always done it. do you know something i found fascinating pat is you said that you had a knack for relaying information in the military. And I've never heard anybody have that as a skill set or a competency to have a knack for relaying information. How, how did that consciously become something you knew that was a competency for you? And how, how has that benefited you since you've left the military? It, it, it has benefited me greatly. You know, it, it, when it comes to relaying information, like teaching somebody something, you need to be the right person who's going to say the right thing to the right person at the right time. What I've learned more than anything is not is brevity. So not it's not it's important to know what to know, but it's way more important to know what not to know, because you have to give human beings permission to put the analytical mind aside and allow the body and the machinery to work, and then you have to let human beings air too. Um, so I let them air. So long as they're not going to hurt themselves, I let them air because uh, otherwise, otherwise we don't learn. But I, I, I'm a big fan of, um, of brevity when it comes to communication and um, knowing also, you know, taking that, just that momentary pause to think about what you're going to say before you say it. Cause I wasn't always good at that. Uh, I, I, I used to have a, an extreme lack for tact and I was the master of putting my foot in my mouth until I ended up being in a leadership position and then in a, uh, a role of being an instructor in special ops. I had to change a lot of things around and I was able to learn what worked and then what didn't work. Uh, but I was able to learn from it too. 
What did you learn about that? Because it is something I wanted to ask you about because I've heard you say you had to learn tact as a leader. Just break that down for me, Pat. What was what was a key thing you had to change about yourself? Because, you know, we, we hear the importance of radical candor, being honest, being authentic, but tact sometimes can offend people. What specifically did you have to change about your own leadership style when you learned that? Um, the big one, like I said, was, you know, not, not putting my foot in my mouth, taking my time and choosing my words carefully. Because when I found myself in a leadership position, I found myself working with guys who are just like me. They were all type A. They were all physical cyborgs. They were all high performers. Um, but they all had different personalities. And uh, they they all had to be addressed a little differently. And that's human. That's very human. You know, we all um, take in information and even the way it's presented and how our body language is, the distance at which we are giving this information. Um, So there was a learning curve there. uh, And I am fortunate enough to have had guys on my first team who were extreme, who had extreme different uh, personalities. Um, so I was able to, um, it benefited, that benefited me uh, greatly having that. Uh, and <clears throat> without that, you know, being tactful, um, there's no way I would, I would have been able to, uh, number one, I wouldn't have been able to relay the information as well. Number two, uh, it's not believable. Number three, it doesn't uh, command respect either. You know, uh, uh, yeah. So I had to develop my own type of uh, leadership style, and I and I, I I probably didn't emulate anybody else's. I didn't replicate somebody else's. I just figured out what I was good at and went with it. And when I saw that it was working, I went, "All right, well, damn, let me just keep doing what I am doing." And, uh, and not change anything. Did you find, as well as having to learn um, how you verbalize things, I've coached my son's rugby team for the past 11 years, and I found that too because even especially when the kids were younger, I'm a swearer. I swear at the drop of a hat, and that was one thing I had to curtail. But the other thing I found as a coach, even still today that I've had to learn, is that I've also had to learn watching other watching their reactions to what I'm saying. So to understand, okay, yep. this kid's getting what I'm telling him. At the very beginning, I didn't understand that. I would tell the story once and hope that all 23 kids understood it. But what I've learned now is that these six kids will understand it this way. These nine kids will understand it this way. But these two over here need to see it or hear it or feel it this way. Is that something you had to learn or did was that innate? No, definitely. There's a learning curve there, just like you. It's a perfect uh, analogy, just like with the, uh, with the kids' team. Uh, you have you have to learn that you have to see it and recognize it because a lot of people kudos to you for recognizing that a lot of people will never recognize it and they'll keep driving on and doing the same thing over and over again you know they'll keep teaching the same way where where it's not going to work for everybody like right now I do one class a week in a different state every week tomorrow morning I go to Kansas for two back to back two day courses and I'm going to have 16 different guys on uh, each two-day block and they all learn a little differently and um you know some some need to be stroked some need to be left alone 
Um, some need uh, reassurance. Some you can joke around with because you know that they have thick skin, so you can fuck around with them a little bit. Uh, others have very thin skin, so you, you need to know when to back off and make sure you're not that anything can't even be construed as making fun of them because you know they can get poopy pants pretty quick and down the freaking toilet goes their uh, ability to perform too. So yeah, that's something that that is learned, and uh, if you're able to learn that, good good on you, Pat. You. Just to finish this up, I find this is very interesting, but I find you in a way to be a walking contradiction mm-hmm. because you eat well, but then mm-hmm. you love your beer every night. Yep. You smoke cigars, yep. yet you work out super hard. You play mm-hmm. metal, yep. yet you watch birds. You're a bird watcher. You <laughs> love hardcore metal yet you play violin it's just i love the fact that you have these polar opposites yeah it it makes up pat mcnamara you just seem to love life and having a crack at stuff yeah how does that play out in your mind you know i i guess i don't it's funny um hearing it from some that's the first time i ever heard it even ever even thought about it like that because um uh, but I think that, I think it's cool as hell. And, um, <laughs> one of the cool things about it is more, uh, it's, it's catching on. A lot of people, are uh, they, they write to me and say, Hey man, thanks for introducing me to metal because now I am a metal head or, Hey, I picked up a bird guide and some binos because of you or, Hey man, um, look at this drawing I did. You encouraged me to start drawing. Um, um, but with the uh, my dog's going crazy out there. Oh, yes, Harry. He's right. <sighs> but um, yeah, walking contradiction. That's pretty funny. You know, with the with the fit with the uh, my diet is ridiculous. So it's uh, extremely healthy. I eat nothing but meat and veg. That allows me. That gives me the opportunity to goof around every night a little bit because I want to drink a few beers with impunity and smoke a cigar. I have a saying too. You see that, that uh, uh, you could see it, but you can't. So on my shirt right now, I have a saying that's, uh, I say every night is Saturday night, but every morning is Monday morning. I want to, I want to go out. I want to shut the gears down a little bit every night, go out, have a couple pints every night. But I have to remember that the very next morning, Monday morning, whether and it doesn't matter what day of the week it, it is. The next morning is Monday morning, so I've got to be up and ready to uh, ready to get some. It, 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 it's funny, uh, the walking contradiction. Uh, I guess I'd never even I'd never even thought about it because yeah, I've got a lot of like sissy hobbies like uh, you know flower <laughs> gardens and uh, I, I have raised gardens. I just put in I today I did a little bit of time nurturing my winter garden, my cabbages and my broccoli and stuff like that. Um, I have. Um, <clears throat> I have seven chickens that I tend to also, you know, and I, and I love my chickens and I go in there and talk to, talk to those little, those little feathered dinosaurs. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. I think it's, it's important to enjoy life, especially, you know, guys like me who run their own business. It's a scary world. When you run your own business, you have to work constantly. You could never stop. You have to keep jamming shit into the pipeline. You, you know, it, it any low hanging fruit opportunity, you've got to you've got to snag snag that up and maybe save it for later in case 
you know, shit goes south and the well dries up, you've got to have a backup plan. Um, so it's important to have little escapes, you know, small escapes, small hobbies. I think the having hobbies is very important on several different levels. Number one, it's very therapeutic. Number two, it, it, it exercises the creative lobe, the uh, poetic lobe of your brain, you know, the right lobe of your brain. And when you exercise that, the other part gets, it gets stronger as well. Um, so yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's, that's funny. I love that walking contradiction. <laughs> but having, having kids too, you would understand that you want to expose your kids to all this stuff as well. Right. I mean, cause a bit like you, I, I love everything from jazz all the way to metal myself. So, you know, you want your kids, not just musically, but in life in general, you want them to experience as, or you want to expose them to as much as you can. Yeah. And it's, you know what? And it's good to be interesting, you know, and interested at the same time. When I chat with, uh, when I chat with strength, we're like strangers. Like I travel, I travel different state every week. And I, I go to a sports bar usually at night to eat. So I can have a couple pints of something on tap with my meal. And occasionally somebody will chat with me, you know, the guy next to me. And I love it when a guy is interesting. That way I could just shut up and listen and go, Hey man, that's pretty freaking cool. You know, you, it, it, it's, it's nice to be interesting and to have interests outside of, Hey, what do you do? Well, I work, you know, and, uh, I go home and, uh, put my kids to bed. Um, you know, that's their, their grind every day. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty short lived that we like, especially when you get start getting older, you know, when you start getting older and, and uh, you know, how when you were a kid, you could say, Oh, I can't wait for next month. Now it's like, dude, I don't want next month to come. You know, I hope today just goes on and on forever because man, you know, carpe DM because you ain't got too many of them dead DMs left. So you better <laughs> yeah, see right. that thing. And- <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yep. Pat, if I take you back to your childhood, you just talked about being a kid, and you were a creative kid, and you were into lots of different creative stuff, and you said that your parents actually supported all of your creative endeavors. How did they specifically do that? Like when you think back to your mum mm-hmm. and dad, the people around you, how did they encourage those creative endeavors? Well, it's more more my dad than anything. Uh, my dad was one of those interesting guys. Um, he he and and when I was a kid, he was busy. You know, he they worked. My parents worked their asses off. My dad was a cop at night, a teacher during the day, and going part time to school to get another degree. So he was constantly, you know, moving. And he always had time for, for us kids. And at the time, you know, I, had, I was among three boys and two little sisters. Uh, and my brothers were, you know, typical tough guy sports and stuff like that. I had all the sissy hops. And, I, you know, he probably uh, did a lot of sign kind of like that. But um, he was 100% supportive when I said, you know what? Um, you know, what do you want for Christmas? Well, I really want... <sighs> a unicycle, you know, and, and it's not something that a typical, you know, 11, 12 year old would ask. Um, but you know, they saved their pennies and got me a unicycle, but damn, I freaking learned how to ride that thing. And I would ride that, you know, I was the only kid in junior high school who would ride a unicycle to school 
of course. And um, but uh, I was very fortunate in that, you know, uh, when he would bring home scrap paper from school uh, so I could draw on or draw on the back because we didn't have money, so he could, you know, buy me drawing pads and stuff. He would, you know, we were we were scraps and we were hand me downs and that kind of thing. So um, uh, I was. Yeah, very fortunate that. If I take you to that time, Pat, you're 14 years old. Mm-hmm. There is a yard sale. <laughs> you walk into that yard sale and you buy your first ever album, which was? It was uh, Black Sabbath Paranoid. <laughs> And I bought it for a quarter. I brought it home, and I played that sucker. I'm a record player, non-stop. Now, I still have that same album. It's right up there in my bookshelf. That same album is up there. One of the greatest albums of all time. My question is, yep. favorite track? Uh, on that one, uh, uh, probably just War, War Pigs, only because my <laughs> wife and I love singing <laughs> that one together. Now in darkness, world stops turning. Ashes where the body's burning. Nice. What a great track. Yep. So that leads me into my next question. What metal track could I play for you that if I listened to the lyrics of that track, it would give me the best insight into Pat McNamara, the man? So I listen to the track and go, yep, that's the guy. What track would I play for you? Uh, how about... Pantera Domination. Oh, <laughs> now you're talking my language. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Or uh, there's another one too. Uh, Lamb of God Descending. Nice. Nice man, you get yeah. you go deep with this stuff, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it, man. I love it. I yeah, love right. where you went. Nice. nice, Pat. I'm uh, conscious of your time, so just before I, we wrap this up, something I heard you say that I want to a couple of threads to pull on just before we close this thing. It was fascinating. You said in the teams, you didn't need to be motivated. You were all to a man driven. Yet today, we lean too much on others to motivate us through podcasts, videos, mentors, books. Where is that sweet spot? Where, where is that sweet spot where we are relying on others to motivate us? Where is that sweet spot where we take our own responsibility? Huh. You know, um, all right. I, I, I call, every class I teach, I culminate with a, uh, with a couple mantras. Um, I, I don't have a good way of answering this, so I'm hoping this is this is a pretty good way. Um, there's a mantra that I wake up to. I, I'm not much of a like a sports fan and stuff. I'm big into like sports psychology. I love that, but I don't know teams and players and anything like that. But there was a, uh, a, a NFL football player in the '90s uh, named Jerry Rice, uh, Hall of Famer, uh, but trained on his own a lot. And people would say, you know, why, how, how do you do this? And his mantra, dude, 
is uh, I will do today what others won't so I can do tomorrow what others can't. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, You know what? So I, I actually like to go to sleep before bed and think about that. So what am I going to do tomorrow, you know, that I could wake up and say, when I wake up, I could say that. I will do today what others won't so I could do tomorrow what others can't. And again, again, it might be minuscule. It might be something, it it could be, uh, um, you know, increase your brain power a little bit, increase your balance, work on your diet, um, educate yourself on on something new, uh, be a better person, uh, do some chores that you haven't done. Um, do a good deed for somebody, one or two. Uh, save a little bit of money. You know, it could be the it could be the simplest things. We can, one of uh, one of my another one of my mantras I invented is you know if you if you if you cloned yourself yesterday, can you kick your clone's ass tomorrow? Which means just make just try to make a a, a, a small incremental improvement to yourself every day, every day, and then you know at the end of the day. You can be introspective and say, did I do that thing today? And I, and that's another reason why I like to reward myself every day because usually every day I am, I have done that thing, that one thing that made me a little bit better today than I was yesterday. Pat, I've got so much more that I could ask you about. Uh, I'm going to hand over to the big man here in the way too tight fitting t-shirt for the nifty 90. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh, do you have 90 seconds? Yeah, sure. Here we go. Robbo's Nifty 90. Okay, so Lola, start the clock. What's your favorite color? Green. Favorite pizza topping? Uh, pepper. Uh, it's onions, pep, uh, green peppers, and hamburger. Uh, are you a tea or a coffee person? Coffee. I have my own uh, blend, as a matter of fact, from Invader Coffee. It's called T-Maxing Blaze Ops Blend. Double dark. That seems to be a theme we we come across with you ex-vets in the States. Is, do, do you all go and get into coffee when you get out of the service? There, there, there are a few, yeah, like Black Rifle. They're yeah. a big one. Um, and then Invader, they're, they're a big one. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's, yeah. I'll Finish this sentence for me. I never get tired of. Sex. <laughs> <laughs> What's something you've always wanted to do but haven't done yet? Man, I've done a lot of stuff, though. But that's one thing. I don't want to travel much more. I'm getting kind of tired of traveling, but, but I'd love to go to the foothills of the Andes. Three words that your service buddies would use to describe you. Whew. Uh... Man, I have to be honest here, because um, some would say dickhead. <laughs> uh, yeah, some would say um, uh, machine. Yeah. Uh, and um, mo- motivating. And and your chance to retort three uh, three words you would use to describe yourself. Uh, I would say I am. I know that I know this now about me. I am genuine, and this is all at the risk of sounding hubris. But uh, and, and the other one is, um, man, I am fucking clean. You can peel back all the layers. You're not going to find, you know, you might find dirt from ages ago, but I'm so clean you can eat off me. I like to be clean and genuine. And then, um, and I, I'm I'm still I'm still driven. So the, the last question and the big one. We're going to, I'm going to make you an honorary member of the Mojo Radio Show for a minute because at the end of each show, we play a song, a play-out song, which is usually something to do with the show. 
So I'm going to make you an honorary member of the show today for this week, and you get to pick the playout song. But because heavy metal has a bit of a bad name out there, I want you to give me a song <laughs> that we can play out with that you would play to someone who you were trying to convert to, he- to heavy metal. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So one, one song that I was tr- that would, uh, let me see, trying to convert. Them. Oh, I got a good one. This is a great one. And I, I hope you can find it because you love this song. But it's called, um, uh, it's a band called Chimera. And uh, the song is uh, Down Again. Awesome. Sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pat, thank you so much for your time. It would be remiss of me not to finish with a, another Pat McNamara hmm. mantra because you finish a lot of your stuff with make it habitual. Yeah, right. How do you go about making stuff habitual for you? How, how do we do that? Tell, that? That is your close. You talk about the agent in charge and then you say make it habitual make it habitual most people don't we kind of do it once we don't do it how do we make it habitual uh you know it it, it doesn't take it doesn't take much if 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 if, um it takes a certain amount of meaningful repetitions to perform a task until you could until you are performing it at an intuitive or subconscious level subconscious intuitively or in subconscious level so Initially, you know, um, you have to you have to do a task with deep thought. You have to do it and think about it until you don't have to think about it. When you don't have to think about it, then it's habitual. I I found a quote that I wanted to read to you to close because I think it sums up the impact that you have on your listeners, your readers, your fans, and certainly the impact you've had on me personally. A guy called James P. Carson wrote a book called Finite and Infinite Games. He said, to be prepared against surprise is to be trained. To be prepared for surprise is to be educated. And I think the way you do relay information to educate people is preparing us for surprise. I love the stuff you do. I think you do it so well. It's been such a privilege and an honour to have you and be able to spend time with you, mate. And uh, we look forward to being able to do it face-to-face when you come to Australia, mate, because um, it would be a true pleasure. Right on. Yeah, this is good. You guys are good uh, host moderators, and uh, this was a fun podcast to do. I appreciate your time. Hey, Santa, want to party? The Mojo Radio Show. Hey, mate, can you pass some more cricket bars over, please? Try this cricket energy bar, the cacao fudge. I have I have already <laughs> downed the two that came in my uh, my summer pack. Could you imagine a cup of coffee, some of Pete's coffee-coated chocolate co- coffee beans and some revies? How jacked up would you be if you fired all, or you fired all that up at once? I'm not imagining. You brought all this stuff in the studio and put it in front of me. And we should mention <laughs> that uh, the only thing that's missing from our little summer swag rock patrol pack is a little bit of this. <laughs> Dead daisies. <laughs> yeah. So those packs are on their way to all our Patreon supporters. Thank you very much. And I have to quickly announce that 
We actually have a Rock Patrol swag pack, which is legit. All the stuff you hear us talking about here in the studio for our rap party is going out to Trevor. Now, Trevor wrote during Rocktober, this is the place. Want some inspiration and a veritable kick in the pants? That's Pat Mack. Here is the place to get both awesome podcasts with a wide variety of guests. Get on the big red bus and get on it now. Make it habitual. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the big red bus has been impounded thanks to AP's parking prowess down at Bondi. <laughs> <laughs> so, send us your details. Get onto our website, Trev. Send it, Trevor. Trev, big Trev. Send us a note and we will send one of these packs out to you, which has all the goodies coffee from Fish River Roasters and the Chili Bomb, the whole lot. It's all going to you. Plus a Mojo. Mojo Journal. We put that in the pack as well and a uh, CD. So all goodies coming out to you, Trevor. Thanks for that. The Mojo Radio Show. Two things to finish up. Number one is I had a couple of notes from people saying uh, recently I said this is a show you will want to save and put into your top shows and a couple of people wrote and said what are your top shows? Can we have a top ten? I went through them after six seasons. I couldn't get a top ten because there was, it was like choosing your favourite child or your favourite Dead Daisies track. There were too many of them. So I've done a top 20. Robbo, I've, said, I've given that to you. If you can load that onto the book. It is up there. I'll put that onto yep. the, the gram. Not that we do very much with that, but it's there anyway. You can, you can grab a hold of it. I'll put it in the show notes. The second thing, which I think is my highlight for the year, is oh, let me set it up. I got a fever. And the only prescription <laughs> is more cowbell. Cowbell. Yes, I thought indeed. that was an absolute, just a, a stinger of a little promo we did for it. It's, and you're telling me that people have gone on to Spotify and added to our list. It's probably my favourite thing of the year is how involved people have got with this. And they've been on there throwing up so many songs that have cowbell that I comp- either didn't know of or had completely forgotten about. So um, in, term- in terms of audience participation, that's easily my highlight of the year. And Will Farrell was recently talking to Jimmy Fallon on the Jimmy Fallon show. And Jimmy was in the clip. And if you actually, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but when you watch this clip from Saturday Night Live, about the cowbell with Christopher Walken and Will Farrell. Look to the left of screen and you will see Jimmy Fallon pissing himself laughing <laughs> as the skit goes on, which, which is gold in itself. It's really, every time I watch it, I laugh. But Will Farrell was on Jimmy Fallon's show and he talked about the fact that how that cowbell skit ruined Christopher Walken's life. Have <laughs> listened to this. Lola, just roll it. Here's the crazy thing. So I go to see Christopher Walken years later in a play. I say hello to him backstage and he's like, you know, you've ruined my life. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? People during the curtain call bring cowbells and (laughs) ring them. (laughs) The other day I went for an Italian food lunch and the waiter asked if I wanted more cowbell with my pasta bolognese and I think he was really mad at me wow yeah. no way and he had a little smile but well because he had such a great career do you know what I can imagine that that would be the case it's a great piece I just think it's a great piece of comedy it's a great comedy skit yeah. 
there are so many little intricacies with it. Absolutely. And and the funny thing that I picked up from that is I never noticed Will Ferrell's shirt before either. <laughs> now, now he mentions it, you look at it and that makes you laugh. I've got to tell you, fellas, you're going to want some more cowbell. <laughs> I think next year, season seven... It's cowbell. We yeah, need more cowbell. I agree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're going to wrap up now, get out of here, wrap up our wrap party. Yep. Thank you to everybody on Patreon who have supported us through the year. This show has no advertising, no sponsors. We completely rely on Patreon just to help pay the bills for what is what is the Mojo Radio Show. So to all our Patreon supporters, we send out this to you, Lola. So thank you to all the gang, AP. Thanks again for another season, season six. You've hung in there with us, mate. Always a pleasure, Bertie. And uh, thank you for the packet of Lion's Mint Tarts. Um, I did check the use-by date and they did expire last year, but it's a thought that counts. Legend. Lofty, thank you so much for all you do, mate. I know you're very busy with MasterChef and all your television commitments. We certainly appreciate the time you put into our little humble little show. All the commitments with your book that you released this year too, so uh, thank you so much, mate. Robbo, thank you. And Gaz, thank you as well. Thanks for allowing me to be part of all of this. Um, It doesn't matter how busy I get, I always love uh, being part of the Mojo Radio Show. It's awesome. Awesome. So thanks for having me on board, guys. Speaking of the book, mate, how's it going? Mate, um, really good. I mean, I've had so many emails from people uh, who obviously I don't know because they're, they're people who have read the book and I've not actually met before, just writing me, writing to me and thanking me for sharing my story because of the parts of my story that resonated with their own story and it's given them the courage to talk about what they've been going through as well, which has just been amazing. But uh, let me give it a blatant plug, people. Lofty, my life in short. Lofty, my life in short. Dot com if you need to go to the website to find out more about it. But uh, it'll make a perfect Christmas stocking stuffer for the one you love this year. So uh, make sure you grab your copy at your nearest best bookshop. <laughs> Hard to guess that you work in the advertising industry, really, isn't it? I don't know what you mean. Terms and conditions apply. And it's good that you're standing on the esky looking us. Why do I? Good on you, big fella. Lola. And Lola. Well, first year in the studio. She survived too. Yeah, I think she's due for an upgrade. Sounds good to me. And is there anybody else we've forgotten to thank? This is Phil Collins here. We should also thank the amazing guests we've had this year. I mean, you alluded to it. Yeah, but they're not, they're not listening. <laughs> no, no, they're probably <laughs> not listening. They're probably not, but I would like to thank them because I, easily <laughs> anyway. our best year. And, and that comes down to you and the hard work you've put in tracking these guys down, mate. So well done to you too. I've got to say that I think season seven is going to be a a ripper with the quality just the absolute quality of guests that are lined up and agreed to come on here mm. still don't understand why but I think what's <laughs> even really more exciting is people coming back again because yes. uh, we've got Ryan Munsey and Logan Gilbert oh. coming on for what I think is it's a first for us and probably a world first different different places all over the world coming into so a four way show he's uh, those guys are gold anyway lots to look forward to mm-hmm. We thank everybody for downloading our little program. Hope you have a great end of season parté, which is the French for party. Mm. Uh, what are we playing out with? Well, okay. We're a rock and roll show, but it's our rap party. Can you think of a song that might combine rock and rap together into one epic rock song? Well, anything Kid Rock does well, would be my how mind. how about uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith? Walk This Way. Well, that also sums up our show, which is a very loose and tenuous link, but we're out.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.